Welcome to GVN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome talented writer James Maddox and artist Gavin Smith. Creators of the comic series Dead Legends, for publisher A-Wave Blue World. Here's your host, Martin Sexton. Welcome once again to another edition of GVN's Talking Comics. I'm your host, Martin. And today we have the pleasure of talking to not one, but two great creators for a series uh, that actually I had just introduced to, which is called Dead Legends. And uh, it's a martial arts-based series that kicks all kinds of ass. <laughs> uh, and uh, actually, they're getting ready to start their second volume uh, for Wave Blue World. And uh, we're going to be talking to James Maddox, the writer, and also uh, to Gavin Smith, the artist, for this thing. So uh, let's welcome them to GBN's Talking Comics. How you doing, guys? Great. Doing, doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's start out with a bit of history, uh, since our followers may not be familiar. Okay, starting with you, James, uh, when did you take an interest in writing comics specifically, and uh, what were some of the comics you read that steered you in that direction? Um, I've always been a storyteller. I won second place in my middle school's uh, excellent fiction contest. Uh, I, I carry that around with me uh, as a point of pride. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had written uh, a number of short stories and like novels uh, and had a friend asked if I could write a comic script. So I tried it out and it seemed to be pretty fun. So I kept at it. And now here I am with uh, with all kinds of fun stories under my belt. As far as like what got me into comics, I'm definitely uh, of the era that like Brian Michael Bendis was doing uh, like crime graphic novels and stuff like that with Image. Um, so like Goldfish and and pretty much anything by Neil Gaiman uh, with like murder mysteries and Sandman and all that. Like I, I like the metaphysical stuff. I like the crime stuff. Like that's what really kind of pushed me um, in my storytelling. Oh, excellent. Okay, uh, so Gavin, what got yeah. you started in... Uh art and doing comics specifically uh it's it's funny that james said he got his uh second place was it you said right, yeah. in the running contest i i was selected in elementary school as an alternate for the school art club and i took that personally so i went, <laughs> so I went and made a career out of it um no i i mean I've, I've always been drawing since i was a kid uh you know and i've been collecting comics so uh i think I was always getting like Batman, Superman. I remember uh, really getting into Grant Morrison's Justice League that really hooked me uh, as a kid. And then from there, I was just all in. Um, and then I ventured into reading a lot of Vertigo, um, like uh, Hellblazer and We Three and Preacher and uh, all sorts of stuff like that along those lines. And uh, in 2000, Eight, I uh, applied and I got accepted to the Joe Kubert School. And then I uh, graduated in 2011. And ever since then, I've been making my own comics. James, some of your earlier works kind of leaned more toward the horror genre. Uh, was that something that you actually enjoyed writing and went, it was going to stick with that? Or did was it because you, know, you had some success with it and you just kind of wanted to keep with what, what worked? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely love the horror genre. Um, I'm, I'm a huge, like, Twilight Zone fan. 
So most of the early stuff I did had roots with the Twilight Zone uh, kind of like aesthetic. Um, and then by the time I was doing uh, like metaphorical hers, like a punk rock poetry kind of uh, kind of series. So um, and you know, Dead Legends is a martial arts series. So I've, I've tried to keep it varied as much as possible, um, just because I, I get bored doing the same thing over and over again, right? But like, right. It, it it seems to me that if if I can vary up my genres and vary up my approaches, that um, it, it not only keeps things fresh for me, but I hopefully keeps it fresh for the readers as well. So exactly how did you get uh, connected uh, with Gavin as far as for this project? Uh, well, Gavin and I have been friends for years and years, almost a decade. Yeah, about, about after I got, I graduated from Kubert School and started hitting uh, conventions, we met fairly quickly. Like yeah. uh, one, of, one of the few uh, shows that at the time, it was like two hours from where he lived, two hours from where I lived. Uh, we ended up meeting in the middle at the show in Dayton and became friends there. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then we get rid of us. Talked about like <laughs> doing a, a, a series or a project together. Um, it was just kind of like waiting for his schedule to clear up and uh, finding the right, you know, topic to, to kind of tackle together. Because um, I... I think I can write anything and maybe that's egotistical of me, but I really do. Um, <laughs> so I kept asking him like, what would you like to work on? If you could work on anything in the world, you know? Uh, and he said he wanted to do like a fight book. And uh, that was, uh, I had enough kind of hubris to kind of take that on. So yeah, hopefully I didn't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's fun, kind of funny because I've talked to a number of different artists, uh, especially in, in your know, writing combination. And that always seems to be the way how it works is they'll ask the artist, what do you, what do you want to, you know, what do you like to draw? And they'll kind mm -hmm. of say, well, I'll lean to whatever it is you'd like to draw. I'll write about that. Whether they actually like that subject or not, they seem to just dive right in. And almost everyone I've ever seen has been, they've been great. So I, f I feel it makes for a pretty good collaboration in that sense. Um, you know, in, in that case, when, when an artist comes to you and asks you specifically like what you want to draw, uh, it, it feels better to be included in the process rather than here's this, draw it. Um, yeah. and, right. and, and we definitely came up with this I think with Dead Legends, it's the purest form of collaboration I've ever been a part of because uh, from the beginning, we started talking about this at another convention and was it Louisville, I think? Where you, yeah, it was Louisville. I was working on commissions. He came to my room and we he asked me that and I, I told him I want to do this, you know, fight book, martial arts book. And we started talking about it and then we just started bouncing. And we, we, we do this every time we get together. We just start bouncing ideas off each other. And uh, we probably have like 15, 20 stories that we'll probably never tell because it's just so many things that we come up with together. But um, yeah, working with James is, is very collaborative that way. Right, and, and actually, you know, when I first started doing this, I thought that's how it worked for everybody. I thought, you know, they all worked closely together. And I found out as I went, not always the case sometimes the you yeah. mean the writer never meets the artist and basically as you said they just like send them the script and here draw this mm -hmm. uh, right and to, to me that's that sounds like a really hard road to hoe <laughs> uh really uh, well it's it's definitely like um 
it's it's a I, I don't know if it's a more streamlined approach because like you don't know who you're working with at that point like uh there's a lot of variables that could pop up i mean granted if if it's just for like the paycheck and and there's that guaranteed income coming through maybe that is the only incentive that you need to finish the book but uh for essentially every story that i've worked on uh it's been a real like collaboration with a friend you know um and i like that it's it's more personal it's more investing for me at least um and whether or not like uh, I, I feel that I can, I feel like I have somebody watching my back because if I write a bad scene or, you know, something's, something's not quite right, someone that's just there for the check will be like, yep, okay, I'll draw it. And that's, that's it, you know, but, you know, Gavin will be like, what if we did it like this? And I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> and I think the best uh, instance of this is when we were uh, putting the pitch together for Dead Legends uh which was basically like an eight page fight scene uh james was like plotting it out and i was like oh no 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 let me like and like you know like just, it, we've come to a point where when we we get to fight scenes it's hey these are the beats i need you to hit but you fill in the blanks like you you've got this from here cuz i he he trusts me enough to kind of just handle the fight scenes and let me do my thing and make it make sense yeah, I think in the latest script that I just turned over, uh, there's like a three-page fight scene. Uh, and it's just like, page one, Gavin, do your thing. Make sure this happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, now, now speaking of Dead Legends, you know, one of the things that really pulled me into the book is I'm a giant fan of badass women. And you had two of them in Dead Legends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so exactly how did you develop those characters? Because uh, uh, like I said, they, they kicked all kinds of ass in that uh, first volume. Yeah, I, th I think uh, part of that process was when, when I came to James, I had an idea for the main bad guy and the main character. Then James came up with uh, all these other layers so I, I think i came up with one woman he came up with the other woman i think yeah we had, combined had red, i think you have red death like pretty well set um and i then, thought i had yam set i forget <laughs> I, I don't i don't i don't remember that one. I, I feel like you came up with red death that's that's interesting i always had it in my head that i i i uh i came up with yawn after you showed up at my house with enter the dragon Right. And we watched it and I was like, oh, the sister in that would be totally right. dope for like the Yan character. Um, and then you, I thought you had already been drawing Red Death. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you came up with her. Oh, well, I could fine. swear. I think, or maybe I think it was a kind of a, it might be something that it was, I was, I love that we're trying to figure this out on your show. Uh, no, that's, that's, like, that's cool. Uh, I feel like maybe we had them combined and then we decided it was best to split them up maybe like like maybe. split up the different parts of the personality i sure, think sure. they were just one yeah. character um but, but this you know what like uh this this is good there's no argument <laughs> just kind of organically <laughs> came up i mean okay yeah it, it yeah. happened but uh, yeah we, i, we I can't help you we knew that we wanted a, a diverse like number of characters um, mm -hmm. we were interested in telling uh the the story Jan's story specifically was like a, a revenge story from the get-go so we kind of knew that we had to have 
um, her character set. It was just finding her personality type, you know? Right. Um, so it, it, everything just kind of came together in service of the story, I believe. Okay, now I, I know I'm kind of spoiling uh, the original volume, but I was curious, you really didn't show the fight between Yen and Red Death. It was, I mean, was that, uh, were you planning on doing it and then decided against it? Or what did, what was the dynamic of kind of, in a sense, skipping that and just coming to the conclusion of what happened at the end of that fight? Uh, I think with that fight, it doesn't really, there was really no motivation for, uh, or I guess I'd, I'd rather say there's an evolution of Red Death's character that she didn't need to win the fight. Right. And uh, definitely the progression of Yan's that she definitely needed to win the fight. So we kind of have it as Yan in theory wins the fight, but it, it's, it's never really concluded that way. And it doesn't really necessarily need for those two to find out who's better right? for now. Um and uh oh <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> um so and, and the main goal is you know get to get to blind tiger get to blind tiger and red death doesn't need to get to blind tiger necessarily um so yeah yeah I think I think we did that on purpose well I said well I know like I said, like I said the fight scenes were great like I said I know at least three or four times in the middle of certain fights, I'm sitting there wincing because like I said, because they just look painful. Uh, like I said, arms and legs aren't meant to bend that way. Uh, and uh, uh, apparently uh, breaking people's necks is the preferred method of killing lots of folks. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big trope like in martial arts movies that I just kind of <laughs> adopted. I was like, yeah, breaking necks. Yeah, so, we're, style. <laughs> uh, so, so we're sitting there talking about this uh but uh you know for the, my, those followers who haven't actually you know read the book yet and they should uh can you give us kind of just a brief uh description of exactly what happens in volume one as we as we lead up to volume two okay uh how spoilery do we want to go Gavin? Uh, that's the way i mean i'll leave it to, to, you know i don't think we want to go crazy spoiler because i actually would love for people to read okay things. but I they think... also you know in the event they don't get to book volume one and jump right into volume two they kind of kind of need to know where they're going uh yeah. the the gist that i have down that when, I, when i'm you know at a convention table selling the book is uh a woman yam enters a martial arts tournament to get revenge against the guy who killed her husband uh that guy being blind tiger but she can't just straight up kill him she has to enter the tournament uh that her husband was supposed to be part of to get to him and she has to run the brackets uh but during the course of the tournament she finds out she's a couple months pregnant with her dead husband's kid so now she's fighting for two <laughs> <laughs> there you go reduced digest version that's it yeah okay Let's see james uh you uh when you first start out you were going the self-publishing route uh and you were doing it back when back when you know it's a pretty common thing these days but it wasn't quality probably as common back when you first started uh how big of a problem was doing that or did, and how much easier is it now that you're you know you're working for publishers uh like uh way blue world well it's um so jen hickman and i like Put out the dead as a self-published book 
And that was a pretty hefty endeavor for a self-published because it was like six issues. Um, we, we, we did everything pretty much in house with Jen doing the art and the colors and I did the lettering and the story. Um, and it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot, right? But at the end of the day, uh, we had um, you know, a book that we could show off and something to prove that we could actually hit the deadline and, and show the work. And with like the work that I've done with, um, you know, Broken Icon Comics and like a few other things that are kind of in the smaller range that are like anywhere from 20 to 60 pages. Um, it's, it's always good to kind of start out small. I've discovered when you're, when you're going a self-publishing route, um, because it a is less time consuming and it's more cost effective and uh you can tell a really good story with a, a smaller page count you know despite what you may think when you're starting out you might think that you need a grand opus of you know books to 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 tell like a decent story but that's not the truth like you can you can tell a short story and put that out on a table or put it out online and just show you know people that you got it you can have them download it for free if you wanted to just to kind of do a proof of concept kind of approach to comics um so you know it's definitely um it's definitely the way to go as far as i'm concerned but on top of that working with other publishers uh self-publishing if if you're you know good at it uh, can instill certain things in you, like hitting your deadlines, because you have to come up with your own deadlines, right? Um, it can make you cognizant of like the different factors that go into comics, be it editing, lettering, uh, scripting, art, all the colors, just the whole thing. Like if you have ultimate uh, responsibility for either doing or or gathering up those elements for the comic you have a better appreciation for it going forward with you know your for hire work or whatever like that so you're not taking advantage of your letter by writing a novel on a page you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, because you've talked to a letter and hopefully if they're good they're like you can't do this you can't have 70 balloons on this page okay? <laughs> um I've been super lucky with the people or the companies that I've worked for, like Webtoon uh, and Await the World primarily. Um, I've had pretty much creative freedom. Uh, Tyler has been really, really uh, great about letting us kind of tell Do the story. Do our thing, about, yeah. You know, and that's, I don't know if it's super rare, but like it's, it's nice to have at this point. Yeah, I think it's really nice. Tyler just kind of trusts us as storytellers. He's he kind of, you know, uh, I think James and I both kind of got started in self-publishing. So, and Tyler, Away Blue World was founded on self-publishing. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of like-minded people coming together that all know how to work uh, within those same boundaries. Um, but now that Tyler's grown Away Blue World, he like he still has that very DIY sensibility and uh I think James and I both do as well we're both we're both guys that are, we're also in bands too so we know how to collaborate yeah. we know how to get things done do it ourselves and uh th this whole process doesn't feel 
like that far off from self-publishing minus you know we don't we don't have to deal with like the little stuff which is nice um like we we could just focus on making the book right which is great all right. Okay. Now, as I'm sitting here watching you uh, draw, I said uh, you you still you do tra- traditional drawing, but you don't do the digital. No, no. Yeah, I, I draw on paper. Um, I my process is I draw on scrap computer paper, and then I scan it in and print it out onto Bristol board and uh, blue line, and then I ink over that, and then I'll do some digital touch ups here and there, and like every once in a while, if I mess something up, I'll, I'll fix it digitally. Um, but yeah, for the and all, all our coloring is done digitally. Um, yeah. But yeah, everything everything I like I like pen and paper and yeah, I like feeling the paper. Uh, and uh, you know, you talk about inking your work. Uh, is that's kind of becoming kind of more of a lost art? Because it seems like more artists are actually doing their own inking. Back you know, back right. in the seventies when I was reading comics, you always had a separate penciler and a separate inker and a little bit separate everything. Uh, but it seems like most artists these days are doing their own inking. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, back when I was a student at Joe Kubert School, that from I don't know if it was always a goal for a lot of the people that were in my class, but it was always a goal for me that I wanted to pencil and ink myself because um, I like my pencils just fine. I don't I don't like uh, when like I've had a, only a couple of times where I really liked it, but for the most part, I don't really like when other people ink me. Um, mostly because there's, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy here. It's, it's, I feel like it's only half the story, uh, whenever I'm just penciling it, because there's a lot of textures and things that I do on the page that I don't think translates well to pencil. Um, but like, if I can put it down in rough pencil, it's like, okay, I can make that line in ink, but I can't do that with pencil. So, um, I tend to, I prefer to ink myself. And then I think over time, it's the industry has just evolved, especially with a lot more people going digitally where the programs are basically inking programs. So like that turning in those pages are inked files. So there's not really a need for an inker. Um, I still know a couple people that use an inker. I mean, we're we're, we're both friends with Jay Leaston and uh, Jonathan Glapian who are traditional inkers and they, you know, still, getting pretty good work here and there um but yeah like i i've always preferred to ink myself i don't know why i, I feel like it doesn't translate well to other people and i don't want to i feel like a too much of a backseat driver if I have to. Well, well i know you know i'm a big fan of uh john buscema and Buscema, he, yeah. yeah he uh pretty much didn't like anybody <laughs> who did his inks uh, uh yeah. he preferred to do it himself but of course you know uh, just production-wise and everything, you did, basically you had to rely on whoever inked. I think uh, right. he tolerated his brother uh, Sal, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think Neil Adams inking for a bit. But yeah, he just never liked hardly what anybody did for him. And uh, yeah, I, I think that. what he was what he was afraid of is that uh, you know, especially someone who's heavy-handed, it suddenly doesn't look like John Buscema's work. It looks like whoever the inkers sure. were. Right. Yeah, right, yeah. like Vinnie Cluda or something like that, or right. okay. Well, I said you, I, I wasn't even thinking about bringing that up, but since it's, I was sitting there watching, yeah, right. Like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just kind okay. of as I kind of noodle here and there. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, you know that's about really all I have. Oh, one other thing, as far as for volume two, do, can you give us any kind of kind of hint of what you already gave me one? I think, yeah, uh, but well, 
that that might be for something even further down the line. Uh, but that one hit yes. I gave you. Yeah. So volume volume one was our revenge story. Volume two is very much like there's a lot of road tripping. There's a lot of like being chased by yeah. by the elements of organization that is Dead Legends. Um, so it's, it's you get to run. Yeah, it's the gang on the run, essentially. Um, so you get to be introduced to Jan's daughter um, and see how that whole dynamic like changes the, you know, the whole situation with within the group. Um, and yeah, it's 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 probably one of the crazier uh, things that we've entered into because <laughs> there's yeah. explosions there's motorcycles games, there's, there's all kinds of fun stuff yeah there's uh betrayal and <laughs> a little bit of heartbreak uh, is there a heartbreak there's kind of some heartbreak uh there's a there's a dead dog in there somewhere <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> um there's uh let's see moral corruption there is Societal corruption, political corruption. corruption. Yeah, there's a Places lot of like regular of life. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it gets we we go we kind of go we only we kind of touch on a lot of things. Well, and uh, it's interesting because like Dead Legends one had um, the the tournament aspect, and I gave little drops and hints that uh, it, it is a somewhat a, a shadow government in itself. Like the people that run the organization to bring in the best fighters in the world, go on to use those fighters to, to do some interesting things in the world at large, right? And then in volume two, you get to see a little bit more of, of that in action, right? Yeah. And you get to see a lot more of how the corruption in Dead Legends uh, is ultimately leading it uh, or leaving it vulnerable to uh, like revolutionary thought. So it's 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 like um, I don't know it's 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 a window into the the world building that you get to see more of it expand in this volume uh, and and also get to see what's going on with you know our crew as as characters mm -hmm. and how they react to that world. All right, oh, I appreciate. Yeah. It. Okay, so before I let you guys go. Uh, you know, I know you, you're kind of knee deep in this, but did you have any other projects that you wanted to uh, talk about that uh, you maybe have coming up? I'll start with you, James. Uh, I can't, I don't think we can talk about. Uh, Ooh, no, no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now, the only thing that I know I can talk about for sure is uh, I have a number of short stories and a bunch of anthologies. So like the You Died anthology, um, there's, I think it's like C is for Cthulhu. I got a short story coming up in that. Um, the Help anthology. What was in the the Tales from the Quarantine anthology? Oh yeah, stuff. we did a thing for that. Yeah, we did a yeah, one page did, story. Uh, yeah, a page for that particular anthology. I forgot about that. Right. <laughs> that was, that was okay. so long ago. Every, like like COVID, COVID had a, a an interesting time with everybody's schedules and, and announcements and stuff like that. So we're still kind of feeling how that's moving. Yeah. Um, but things are happening. Things are in the works. Yeah. Okay. So uh, before I move on uh, to Gavin, uh, do you, uh, as far as the fans want to follow you on social media, uh, James, uh, where can they go? Uh, I am James C. Maddox 
uh, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, Gavin, since I already know that you're doing some Star Trek there, uh, so what, what do yeah. you got coming up here? So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, uh, as I said, Star Trek The Mirror War for IDW Publishing, uh, which is on the cover of previews this month, which is yeah, wild. it is. Uh, I don't have one with me to show it off, but um, yeah, so I, I'm working with IDW for the next year ish. So I'm it, there's a 13 issue series. Uh, there's zero issue, eight issues, which is the main story, and then four tie in issues. I'm doing the eight, so uh, the the main series. So that'll take me through to June. Uh, that, that's pretty much my whole life for the next year, um, besides Dead Legends 2, which is coming out, starts coming out next week, and uh, we, we, we have started planning Volume 3 already. Well, all right. Uh, okay, so, so as far as social media for you, uh, Gavin. Gavin. Gavin P. Smith. Gavin as in uh, G-A-V-I-N-P as in Patrick Smith. And that's on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I have a website, but I never update it, so... <laughs> there's there's anything you need to know from me twitter instagram or you know uh, also i do a twitch stream with a lot of my friends um oh yeah uh every thursday night at 8 p.m it's on uh sue lee's twitch channel oh, yes, which is yes. twitch.tv slash sue draws it's myself sue josh hickson tyler boss tom riley craig cermak ricardo lopez ortiz Adam Gorham, and then we have like a bunch of other guests come on, like Sweeney Boo is a big uh, guest that comes on. James comes on sometimes. Uh, Ramon Villalobos, like there, there, there's eight of us that are the main people, and we just kind of goof off and draw stuff. Yes, yeah, I've actually I've actually uh, jumped down there a few times to watch. Uh, oh, cool. uh, I yeah, because I uh, talked to Sue uh, when she was uh, doing a, a book for uh, Ahoy. And yes. uh, as I say, and I've pretty much been following her since. Uh, so cool. All right. So uh, that's like I say, that's all I got for you guys. And we'll be following uh, Dead Legends Volume 2 very closely. And uh, I'll be getting back with you, Gavin, for Star Trek. Yes, for sure. Uh, and uh, we uh, hopefully connect with you again real soon. Excellent. Thanks so all much. Right. All right. So thank you. Thank you for listening to GVN's Talking Comics. Please come back again. Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.